All right. It is time to invite all the kids to come on up front and have a seat up here. Come on up. Feel free to bring somebody along with you if you'd like. Find a spot to sit. All right. Good to see everyone. Find a spot. All right. All right. Good to see everyone. All right. Now, to start with this morning, I'm going to give you some instructions, and then I want you to follow my instructions. Okay? You think you can do that? So if I were to say clap twice, what would you do? Good. Okay. You get the idea? I'll give you an instruction, and you just, you just follow it. Sound good? Okay. Ready? Stand up. Jump one time. Stop jumping. Don't touch anyone. Clap three times. Sit down. Be quiet. All right. Good job. You did, you did well with that. That was good. Now, as we did that, did I appear to be very loving and kind and caring? Did I sound that way? Did I show you a good example of how to do those things, or did I just kind of order you around? Yeah, I, I kind of ordered you around, didn't I? Now, think with me. If I always treated you like that, would I be somebody that you would want to follow? Would you want to come and learn from me or get advice from me if I treated you that way? You maybe wouldn't even want to spend time with me if I treated you that way, right? Yeah. So I want you to keep that in mind as we continue talking about fathers today. In the Bible, in the book uh, 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is writing to a specific church. This was a church in the city of Corinth. And he's, here's what he said in chapter 4, verse 15. He said, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Now, that word guide here means like a guardian or a supervisor. This would be somebody who would treat you kind of like I just did, right? Ordering you around and, and telling what, you what to do. So you have many guides in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. Fathers means he's being somebody who's in relationship with you, someone who cares for you and watches over your spiritual well-being. It's somebody who helps bring life to another person. So this is somebody who cares for you in a personal way. So this church in Corinth here, they had many guides. They have many people telling them what to do and how to be a good Christian, and you better do this and you better do that. But they have very few people who were investing them in a personal way, leading them in their walk and their relationship with Jesus Christ. Did you know that our, our church here at Pine Grove, God has given you fathers, right? You live at home with a father maybe, but God has given the church fathers, those who would care for all of you, pastors and elders, right? These are people, we're people who love you and care about you, and we desire God's best for you. We want to see you learn and grow in Christ. And we're here to help you do that by praying for you and teaching you and serving you and spending time with you and serving as a good example for you. All right? So those are all things that God has given in the fathers here at church, those who care for your spiritual well-being. So Pastor Jeremy's going to tell us more about that when he comes. All right? So thanks for coming up. You can go back and have a seat. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. If you have your Bibles, you turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. 
1 Thessalonians 2, 10 to 12. So we are in uh, the third sermon of four on fatherhood. We began with God our Father, God is Father. Last week we saw that fathers can be fallen in some um, small and some uh, large, horrific ways. Uh, and so our ache is deep for a father. I, I don't think there's any greater hunger in our world right now than the hunger for a father. Uh, and, and that's true in all aspects of society. What I want to do today is talk about, as Pastor Jeff said, men in the church. I'm calling this church fathers. By that, I don't mean uh, you and your dad. I mean men that God has called to lead and protect and serve in the church. I think elders here. So this is kind of a church uh, sermon on eldership. So today is church fathers. Next week then is house fathers, actual dads. How to be a dad in the home, a Christian father. Today, church fathers. Then after that, we're going to do three sermons on deacons, God willing. And then after that, into 1 Corinthians, if you want to know where we're going. So in the church, God has called godly, mature, wise men to take responsibility for the church. Uh, he's actually ordained two offices uh, that men are to serve in, elder and deacon, and they're to serve as fathers in the church, church fathers. And so what the church needs are men who lead as men in the church. And so uh, this is true in our church, true in all churches. I, I have seen myself firsthand what happens when men absolutely abdicate their responsibility in the church and the destruction it wreaks in a church and the lives of people. I lived through it for eight years, and it was awful. Uh, and so what the church needs are men like David, who are shepherds, who are willing to take on the occasional lion and a bear. And so we need men with backbone who won't give an inch on biblical truth and a men who hug and cry and kiss with fatherly affection. We need church fathers. Let me read, uh uh-oh, I somehow flipped in my book. All right, 1 Thessalonians 2, 10 to 12. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and blameless and righteous uh, was our conduct toward you believers, for you know how, like a father with his children, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Let's pray. Father, no part of your word has come about by uh, someone's own deep thinking. Instead, you, O God, have told us that men spoke as they were carried along by your Holy Spirit. So this word is your word. We ask then, God, that that same Holy Spirit would be given here, be present, working in us, understanding and obedience to your holy word, and especially as church fathers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I chose this text because it proves uh, what I want to do here this morning, that uh, the Bible takes the analogy of fathers and applies it to men in different contexts. Paul here says that he worked among believers as a father. Pastor Jeff read in 1 Corinthians that Paul was their father in the Lord. And so I want you to think of fatherhood, not just in the home with your own children, but in the sense of I'm a man in the church called to lead as a man. And that applies not only in the home and in the church, that applies anywhere you're a man. Let's, let's say you're some kind of a supervisor at work. You're, you're to be a father there. We have government fathers. We have fathers in every area of life. But today, 
we want to talk about church fathers. Paul in 1 Corinthians 4.15 wrote that he became the father of the Christians in Corinth. I became your father through the gospel. And so Paul functioned as a pastor in the sense of a father. And so we need men who will lead in this way. So men are called to be fathers in the church, just as in the home uh, and in the world. There's a lack of this. There is no greater uh, error today in the world than the assault on God created them male and female, turning everything into the female. Now, again, this is not an attack on women. I don't hate women. The Bible doesn't hate women. The Bible was not some kind of masculine, testosterone-filled world. If you know, before the time of Jesus, the second most powerful person in the world was a woman. Jesus' times were as effeminate as ours. Um, this wasn't written during a time of hypermasculinity, and we've got to be careful. That's not what's going on here. Uh, we all, I think, could see that when masculinity is robust, femininity can be true as well. But when femininity dominates, masculinity is nowhere to be found. Right? If you want women to flourish, you need strong men. But if all the women are strong, all the men will be nothing. And so that's why we're talking about this this morning. This is for the sake of women in the church. And as I said in the time of confession, one of the temptations that men have always faced, and especially today, is to wimp out, to sit by. I preached a sermon a few years ago in a previous church on this subject, and afterwards a kindly uh, grandmom that everybody uh, referred to as the grandmother church sat there and wept after the church uh, saying, where are all the men? Where, where are all the men? Men abdicate. We fail pathetically in weakness to protect and to discipline and to teach. And that's not necessarily because men are staying home. That's because men are um, staying silent, letting women take the role that they were supposed to. Now, men do stay home, and that's typically because when men come to church, everything is so feminine that they can't stand it, frankly. And so we don't want to be that kind of a church. But the larger problem is with us men. Even when we do lead, we often do so in effeminate ways. I want to talk about that word effeminate again. Feminine is a glorious thing in a woman. We want feminine beauty. We want feminine glory. And we want it in our daughters, but not in our sons. It is beautiful in a woman, and it is ugly in a man. And the same thing is true vice versa masculinity, the hardness of man, is not pretty in a woman. Men are supposed to be masculine. Women are supposed to be feminine. God made it this way. God created us male and female, and so we're different. This doesn't mean we're different in every way. We are equal before God in worth. Male and female are equal before God in fallen sin. Men and women are equal in our need for Christ, and we're equal in God's fatherly love for us through faith in Jesus Christ. But we are very, very different in role and manner and what we, uh, how we act. Any of you who have children who've had a boy and a girl know this from day one. They couldn't be any more different in how they look at the world, right? This Christmas, we gave our granddaughter uh, a toy, a doll, and the head came off. And our boys and our girls treated that very differently, right? 
And if you don't know what I'm talking about, right? All right. So in the church, the pressure is on men to be womanly in their bearing. Women are uh, in this earth. They are made to give life and to nurture, to be soft and to be tender. And thank God for our moms. Thank God for church mothers. We need them. But the temptation and the pressure is for men to be like that. Now, there is nothing wrong with a man being tender. There is nothing wrong with a man being or crying. But there is something wrong if a man is only that. When men fail to initiate, when men fail to be forceful, when men fail to be strong, when men fail to discipline and take responsibility to sacrifice themselves for the sake of others, that is wrong. As I said before, we see men being men as something wrong. It's toxic. And so men are largely evaluated on feminine categories. For instance, if you as a woman saw another woman hurting, you would go probably and put your arm around her and ask her what was wrong, and you'd follow up with her with a phone call and a card. You, by your very nature, are very tender and kind and gracious. Whereas if you saw a man in our church, which another man who was in sin, and he was speaking very frankly and toughly and smacked him upside the head, you would automatically think there's something wrong with how he's handling that situation. If you see a little boy who is full of vinegar and bouncy and whatever, in our day, we prescribe medicine to take that away from him. He's just a boy. He's just a boy. He's just being a boy. And so in our day, we think hard women are gloriously godly and soft men are gloriously godly, and it was made just to be the exact opposite. Soft men are acceptable, hard men aren't. Hard men who say hard things, hard men who fight for what is right, hard men who protect the weak, hard men who discipline others who are in sin, hard men who sing loud, hard men who teach the whole counsel of God with passion and courage without embarrassment are thought automatically be doing something wrong. You have all hardly, uh, likely heard of the book, The Shack. Remember that book? William Young. The book, The Shack, was written about a man named Mac, whose daughter was abducted and harmed and killed. And he was struggling with relating to God. And God invited him to a shack, likely where his daughter was killed. And when Mac entered the shack, he met God the Father as a kindly, singing, swaying woman. Because he got, the author gets it. Our main hunger in the world is for a father, but we meet mom. Right? That's our conception of God, isn't it? Kind, tender, Singing, swaying, gentle mom. And so that's what we want our men to be. 
So please hear me clearly again. I'm not faulting women for this. This is our fault as men. Again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being feminine. In fact, if you remember the last week, we talked about abuse in the church. We talked about men who abuse. Do you know why that's so prevalent in the church? Because there's no hard men to deal with abusers. I heard several stories from people after that sermon of men who abused in the church, they went to other men in the church, and those men consistently swept it under the rug. They were so soft. They wouldn't deal with it. They wouldn't protect the abused. They wouldn't deal harshly with the abuser. If you're being abused, the one thing that you need is a hard man to deal with the abuser and to protect the abused. There is a reason why in our world abuse goes on unchecked. Because men are soft. Because they won't deal with it. When men become effeminate, it does get really hard in the church. It just gets hard on the people it's supposed to be helpful for. Right? If discipline needs to happen in the church and you refuse to discipline and you go soft on the person who needs discipline, you're going to make it hard on everybody else. And when men get soft, church gets really hard for the people it shouldn't be hard for and gets really easy for the people it should be hard for. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is a price for men being soft and it's always suffered by those who it shouldn't be. And that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus came to earth to do, isn't it? He came to earth to make it hard on those who it should be hard on to protect those who needed protection. You remember in John chapter 8 when a bunch of wicked men dragged a woman caught in adultery who was likely naked, caught in the act. They dragged her before Jesus. Who was he hard on in that instance? What would you do as a guy? What would be the temptation? Here you have the leading men of society dragging a woman naked caught in adultery. And Jesus was hard on those men. That woman needed a hard man in that instance. They needed somebody to stand up and fight for. And so the church needs men. Real men. Now when I say real men, I'm not talking about Tim Allen. I'm not talking about gruff and burping and farting and itching and bigger tools and knowing how to run a chainsaw and wearing flannel. God bless flannel. Right? And that has very little to do with it. Now, it doesn't have nothing to do with it. Of course, men should know how to run chainsaws better than women. And if you think there's something wrong with that, come on. Goodness gracious. I'm talking about the male aspect of being tough and laying down your life in the protection and service of others. I'm talking about warrior. I'm talking about Paul calling men to uh, lead and protect by laying down our lives. So that is why all throughout Scripture, leadership in the church is given to men. There are a couple highly contested verses in the Bible that are not complex at all, but people think they're complex. They're not difficult at all to understand, but people find all difficulty trying to understand them that give 
leadership in the church, church fathering exclusively to men. But what, I want to read these verses, and I want you to listen to them. Just listen to them and, and ask yourself, is this hard to understand? Do I understand what this is saying? Are these words plain and simple and clear? Two verses. I, in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, we read this. I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Is that difficult? Who is the head of a woman? Man, is, is that hard to understand? Very simple. Or 1 Timothy 2. I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was created first, and then Eve. I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to be quiet. For Adam was created first, and then Eve. Is that difficult to understand? You don't have to go to seminary to get that. You can go to seminary to get that all screwed up, which is what is happening in seminaries all over the world. The reason that that, is, that, that, that that verse, let's say, is so difficult, it seems so unclear, is because we come to the text wanting it to say something other than what it says. We come wanting that text not to say what it so plainly says. And then we go to all kinds of Greek and cultural stuff and twist ourselves into all kinds of pretzels trying to make it say what it plainly does say, not say what it plainly does say. You know what I'm saying, kind of. Another way to say it is, I can make it really unclear, and you still know how clear that is. It's so plain. Here's the thing. The church is dying for that one verse to happen in every church. This is it. This is where the battle is. The church is hungry for fathers. You see it all over the place. You see lonely women whose husbands abdicate the authority they've been given and they are hungry for a father in the church. You see teens whose parents are not Christian in the church hungering for a father. You see people, uh, you see truth ignored or truth twisted People's lives are being messed up, and what they need is a father who won't stand for it. And so the church needs male fatherhood. The church needs men who will treat the people in the church as a father would, with all of the kind of fatherly care and discipline and toughness and tenderness that you all desperately longed for in your own Father, and that God the Father is exactly like. So the church needs fathers. You need fathers in the church in the form of elders and deacons and men who will care and protect and provide and lead without any shame or embarrassment for being a man. So we are hungry for church fathers, Church fathers are to be manly men, masculine men who take responsibility and sacrifice and put themselves at risk for the sake of truth and the biblical good of others. It comes as no surprise then that the requirements for eldership deal with how a man was in his own home. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy 3. If you're first in 1 Thessalonians, it's two books to the right. 
In 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 7, we have the qualifications for being a church father. Eldership. So let's just start in verse 1 here. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of, over, office of overseer, of elder, he, masculine pronoun, singular, he desires a noble task. So don't mess with pronouns in the Bible. If you are a she, you have a, a vital Needed a role in the church, but it is not this. And if you are a he, you are to aspire to this, to this noble task. That doesn't mean you'll actually ever be an elder, but you should be aspiring to be a church father. You should be doing the hard work of preparing yourself to be useful to others in the church as a man. We need you. Now, skip down if you would. To verses 4 and 5. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So Paul envisions the church as a family with fathers ruling, pastoring the family. And we ought to ask ourselves, what qualifies a man to be a church father? How do we know which men we should ordain into this office of elder? And Paul's qualification is, well, look at how he's fathered his family at home. The best indication of the kind of church father a man will be is the kind of father he was in the home. That All men who are fathers outside of the church, are practicing and preparing for being qualified to be a church father. This is what you guys do if you're in the business world and you are interviewing an employee. You want to find out what kind of record they had before because what they did before is the best indication of what they'll do going forward. And a father who is a, a, the kind of father who disciplines his children, who is severe in sin, who prays for his family, provides well for them, works hard for them, who gets on the ground and wrestles with his kids and hugs them and, 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 and cares for them, is kind to them. You can expect that man to be that exact same kind of father in the church. But if you have a man who is not leading his family in devotions in the home, doesn't open the Bible with his family, a man who will not discipline a child for fit-throwing or lying or disrespecting his mom, a man who consistently gives into his wife and cowers before her when she's attacking him verbally and doesn't stand up to her, you can expect that man to do the exact same thing in the church, and he will hurt people. He will harm the church just as he is his family. And so this is of deadly earnestness. This couldn't be any more serious. Christ has given men authority in the church, responsibility for eternal souls. 
And they will give an account in 1 Peter 5 to God for how they have shepherded his sheep. Turn with me, if you would, uh, back a few books to Acts 20. Uh, These are hard things, tough words for men. And whether you're 10 or 30 or 40, men, we need these kind of things, don't we? Isn't it long time we're done being pampered? That, That our sin is not called out? That we aren't preached at in hard ways? And I would ask you to respond to this sermon, not with guilt and feeling bad about yourself, but with repentance and change with taking responsibility. In Acts 20, Paul, uh, beginning in verse 17, he's on his way back to Jerusalem where his life is likely going to end and he stops along the way to meet with uh, church fathers from the church of Ephesus, elders, and uh, he greets them one last time. And I want you to start at verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. What he means is, God has given him, as a church father, blood responsibility for the people in the church. Their lives are in his hands. He is responsible for the eternal lives of people. And he's saying, I've done well by them. I don't have blood on my hands. I haven't failed in this calling. This is hearkening to an Old Testament passage where you have somebody who's like on watch watching the city. Right? And, and Paul is saying, I didn't fall asleep. I, I didn't fail in my post. I stayed awake. I did what I was supposed to do. So he asked the question, well, what does that mean? What did Paul do so that... Uh, He's innocent of, of having blood on it, that he, that he was faithful to the task as a church father. Well, here it is. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And this is the failure in the church with church fathers. They will preach what they're preaching with truth, but they won't preach all of the truth. They'll skip hard stuff. They they won't talk to the people in their church about the sins in the seats. They won't preach through books of the Bible and hit hard topics hard. They'll preach half the counsel of God. And then they'll preach it half-heartedly and blood is on their hands. Paul said, "I, I didn't do it. I didn't shrink from it. I didn't pull back. I didn't stand up in front of the congregation knowing that they were going to get angry and give in. I didn't shrink. In verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves, all the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he attained his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wills will come in among you, not sparing the flock. From your own selves will men arise, saying, twisted, things to draw disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years, I did not cease night and day to admonish every one of you with tears. That, that, that's what I'm talking about as far as 
church father. You see that, men? You see what kind of a man Paul was in the church? That's what we're talking about here. Fierce wolves from within the church trying to draw people away from Christ, and Paul needed to admonish them. He needed to protect them. That's why church fathers are needed, because this is not a woman's calling to do this work. Sadly, in so many instances, in so many churches, women are given to do this work, and it's killing them. It's killing them. When you as a man abdicate your responsibility, your calling to protect and be hard to a woman, it kills her. She'll do it. She'll take up your responsibility, because women are wired that way. And she'll do it faithfully to the best of her ability, to the glory of God she'll do it, but you are killing her and your church. Now there are so many ways that this plays out. One is you as men taking your responsibility to prepare yourself for this work seriously. Take your relationship with the Lord seriously, please. Stop fooling about every day. Read the Bible. Pray. Seek God. Get into some training. If you don't know what to do here, come and ask one of the elders and say, hey, I want to do this. Can you help me get ready? Look at another man in the church that you know is spiritually full of vinegar who's got some manliness in his veins and say, can you help me? That'd be the first step. But men are supposed to be prayers. We're supposed to pray for the church. We're supposed to minister the word to the church. We're supposed to discipline sin in the church. I think manliness in the church often is seen in whether or not we will go towards those in sin and say the hard things to them. That's where men often fail. We avoid it. We tiptoe around it. And, And that kind of a man has probably done the same thing to his children. He didn't spank them consistently and firmly for their sin. We we fail to protect our own children from their sin in the home and in the church. This is not to say men should not show affection. If you're still in Acts 20, look at the very last three verses. Look at all of the fatherly affection of Paul and these elders. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. That's a manly thing to do. I don't know why men think it's not manly to pray around other men. That's a manly thing to do. Look at verse 37, 38. And there was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him. Where is that kind of church fathering in the church? Our world is starving for that kind of affection of fathers. And then they come into the church and they meet the same kind of coldness from the men that they've met everywhere else in their lives. They don't have affection for each other. They don't hug each other. We don't kiss each other. We say, oh, that's just culture. We don't do that kind of thing anymore here. Look at this. Isn't that attractive? Don't you want fathers like that? Don't you want men who care for you, protect you, and then hug you so hard that you don't want to get out of it. I wanted that from my dad. I want that from older men in my life. Church is starving for this kind of stuff. 
nor ultimately starving, for because that's exactly what we want but rarely receive. And don't forget that this all flows from who God the Father is for us. God the Father is a hard Father. He does not mess around with your sin. He causes all kinds of pain in your life for your sin because He loves you. God the Father will protect His people. (laughs) And He did it mainly by sending His own Son to die in your place for your sin to save you from all hell. He'll teach you and He has great affection for you. Let's pray. Father, from whom all fatherhood gets its name, please bless us as men with the kind of biblical church fatherliness that we find is so difficult to identify because our world is so against it. But grant it to us, the kind of strength, the kind of courage, the kind of initiated, initiate, uh, initiative, the kind of bearing of heavy responsibility for the sake of others, the kind of affection, the kind of toughness, that your name might be glorified and your people might be secure and being built up in your love. May we do it because you are our Father. May we do it because you made an end of our sin in the crucifixion of your Son. May we do it because you reign. And so, God, may we as men desire to please you above and below, uh, before all ours. May we, desire, may we fear you more than we fear what others think about us. And so, God, would you continue to raise up men in this church who will be fathers for the sake of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.